0: you remember when you were a kid and all these rules were given to you and you didn't understand why we had those rules? Am I the only one? I mean, why can't I jump on the couch? It's the jumpiest place in the whole house. It really helps me get the distance and the height that I'm looking for. Right? Why can't I run at the pool? If I don't, Johnny's going to get in front of me on the slide, and it's cold. So if I get out of the pool, I need to get back into the pool as soon as possible. Running only makes sense. Why? Why can't I talk back? <laughs> You're telling me what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're gonna, you want to tell me how to, I'll tell you back. Why can't I talk back? Teachers, why can't we have gum at school? I am, I know that gum is not going to fall out of my mouth and onto the floor like the other dozen pieces already there, and it's not going to end up underneath a desk like every other desk at school. Why can't we do the things that we want to do when we're kids? I'm just, you know, I could go all day with all the rules, but you know, something happens when we get older. I don't know what it is inside of us. A switch, a switch just happens. And old you just comes out. Old me comes out all the time. Spit out your gum. You're going into school. <laughs> Where'd that come from? It came from my inner child turning into an adult. Get off the couch. Don't jump on the couch. I have now started being that. I shouldn't say I started. I have been the old guy for well, since I became a dad, don't run at the pool. You know why? Because as you get older, you see things, you experience things. The maturity of, 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 of you turns in, you, you see how the gum could easily come out of a mouth and under a desk or into the carpet. You see that when your kid is running across the slick tile, that it, all it takes is one little slip and you're headed to the emergency room and that costs way more than just saying, don't run. As we get older, we mature, and we see things differently. Rules that were just silly, or they didn't make a lot of sense, all of a sudden begin, we see the heart of the rule. But what happens when we don't? What happens When rules stay rules and we never quite understand the heart of the rule behind it. What happens when we are really good at following something or the letter of the law without understanding the spirit of the law? In the days of Jesus, when he spoke, you get the sense that he's frustrated. Okay, maybe it's more than just a sense. Jesus is frustrated when he is talking to the the teachers of the law. When he's talking about those different things, he's frustrated with the scribes and the Pharisees and how they taught the law or how they interpreted the law. You you can can see that, that in his even as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to hear things like, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. So you know that there's a, a disconnect from what they interpreted the law to say or mean versus what Jesus wanted the law to really be. Flip it around on the other side, and they can't stand the fact that Jesus con- continues to go against the law. I mean, healing people on Sabbath, picking pieces of grain and eating it, rubbing your hands together? I mean, how much more breaking of the law could you get? And so there are two frustrations, the frustration of Jesus towards the scribes and the Pharisees of how they're interpreting and teaching the law, and there's the frustration of the scribes and the Pharisees towards Jesus for taking the law so lightly. Do you see the tension Jesus isn't taking this law seriously. So they've concluded, because of what Jesus is doing and because of what Jesus is saying and how he's going about healing people and helping people and raising people, all on this holy day, and not to mention not washing your hands before you eat, all those different things that they had had, they concluded that Jesus was against the law and wanted to get rid of it. So Jesus decides he's going to clear the air. Let's have a chat, shall we, of what Jesus is actually doing with the law. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount with these words of Jesus to clarify some things. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 17. Father in heaven, as we open up your word this morning, especially these words that Jesus spoke, I pray that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to these words. Lord, that you would anoint my lips and my mind that the words that I speak, they be from you, and our hearts would be open to be transformed by your goodness, your grace, and your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What a pointed set of things to say. I, when you read this, I mean, I, I immediately you just want to be like, wow, Jesus is really, like, he's really serious about this whole thing. And, and what, is he, what is he talking about? Not trying to abolish but fulfill. And, and then he's talking about things like, whoever teaches things that do less or more or, and then you've got to have righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. This is just, wow, Jesus, I thought we were moving on this whole grace thing and now we're going, seems like we're going backwards. What's happening? Well, let's break things down. Let's go back to the beginning, okay? Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, understanding how they, they spoke and the way different things, I, I want us to be uh, clear on something here because this is important. When Jesus refers to the law or the prophets, the law and the prophets, he's referring to everything. Oftentimes when we read this verse, and I've read it in Evangelistic series and things like that, we want to go here because we love the part until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle would be taken away from the law, right? I mean, that's, that's, we, we go to that for the Ten Commandments and establishing that the Ten Commandments are eternal, Right? And so we want to we want to take that that anytime we see the word law in the New Testament, we're immediately thinking of the Ten Commandments. But that's not necessarily true. Because when they're referring to the law, they're referring to all of it. They're referring to the whole Torah. I mean, they're not just excluding just ten things, they're looking at the whole big picture. So when you look at the law and the prophets, Jesus is basically saying, look, I'm not come to get rid of the Torah, the Pentateuch, the teachings of Moses, all of that stuff. I'm not here to get get rid of those or abolish those, nor am I out to abolish the prophets. So now we're including the major and the minor prophets. So we've got things like, like Isaiah and Jeremiah all the way to Joel. I mean, these are... In, in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not out to abolish any of it. From in the beginning to the point that we're done with the Old Testament and everything in between, Jesus is saying, I'm not out to abolish it. I'm not, I'm not out to destroy it. You see, here's, here's the thing. If we can understand that for a moment, I also want to make sure that I do include that, of course, the Ten Commandments are included in that. I mean, they're right there in it. In fact, in Scripture, they don't, you, you never really find that they referred to the Ten Commandments as the Ten Commandments. They referred to them as the Ten Words. Like, these are the Ten Words of God. These were like the Ten... Uh, uh, this is something that Jesus wrote with his finger on tablets of stone and given as a covenant to the people. I mean, that was a big, big deal. And so it was, in their mind, it was viewed differently but it was still included. So when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's including everything, including the Ten Commandments. So don't don't think that I'm trying to to get rid of that or downplay it. It was a really, really important part of their faith and ours as well. But what I want to point out is that Jesus is saying, I'm not out to abolish any of it. In fact, I'm here to fulfill all of it. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus says, I'm not out to do something, but I'm out to do this, then we're putting these two things at opposite ends, right? So you've got the abolish and you've got the fulfill. Abolish is an easy one. We all agree with abolish. All Christians believe, you know, we're all on the same page when it comes to abolish. Abolish means to get rid of, to tear down, to dismantle, to destroy, right? And so this idea that Jesus isn't out to dismantle, destroy, all those different things, we're we're on the same page there, we get that. But on the other spectrum, on the other side, and the other opposite, we have this word fulfill. And that's where things get a little bit confusing because the majority of Christianity will take that word fulfill, which, you know, we'd say, okay, well, that means to complete it. And then they'll go as far as to say that because it's completed and because it's fulfilled, it's done away with. It's nailed to the cross and gone. Well, wait a minute. Why would Jesus, that, why why would we have the whole fulfill thing to ultimately mean what abolish means. That doesn't make any sense. Why would Jesus say, I've not come to destroy the law. I've come to destroy it. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And so in that, we got to understand that, that to complete something, to fill it up, is different than getting rid of it. I, I heard a, a, a pastor uh, uh, telling an illustration that he was out to dinner with another pastor. And they were, they were having lunch together and, and they were having this discussion about the whole law and, and what Jesus did and all these different things. And so the, the, the pastor, pastor number one, he says, he, he calls his waiter over and he asks the waiter, he said, would you fill up my glass, please? And the waiter begins to fill it. You know, he fills it about there up to the top. And he says, no, I want you to fill it more. I want you to fill it as full as full can be like almost running over full. So you know, you guys have ever done that. You know, you pull it out, see how much you can get into a glass. So that's what this waiter does. He pulls it all the way to the top. It's all the way full. It has now been filled. And then he says to the waiter, get rid of it. It's of new use to me now. And the waiter's like, uh, like he doesn't know what's going on. But the, the other pastor looks at him and says, what are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. He says, Exactly. It's exactly, it doesn't make any sense. And, but that's what a lot of times what, what we teach is that Christ fills something up and then we say, nah. Or we look at it and say, because it is so full, it has so much more meaning now. We'll get there, we'll get there. But as, as we look at these two things, we, we have to understand that fulfill doesn't mean to do away with. It's not, it's not that it, it's no longer there, but Jesus had other things he had another plan for what all those things are. Now, here's something else that we need to understand. Is that all of these laws that are written down, whether it's the book of Moses and and all of that, all of these laws are a culmination of one major law. The law of God. The law of God is not 10 things. The law of God is much bigger. I like to think of it this way. We all know what the, like different physics laws, like the law of gravity. It's really the only physics law that I know, so that's the one I'm going to use. I'm not a physics guy. But but the law of gravity, in simple layman terms, that means, in my terms, (laughs) what goes up? must come down, right? So every time I let go of something, anything that is heavier than air, whatever, I don't, again, I don't know. What goes up, must come down. If I let go, it falls. (laughs) When you get out of bed in the morning, you put your feet down and you stand up, you stay there like you don't float away. What would happen right now other than you guys just totally freaking out, what would happen if I begin to float? Like I just begin to float up in the air. First, you try to throw things at me and think that I'm crazy, but I would be defying the law of gravity, right? In the same sense, God has a law. God has a law of love. Everything. Everything that God is is love. That's what his Bible says. That God is love. That means everything that comes from God is love, including things that He writes with His finger on stone. That's love too. In fact, in, it, it, Paul tells us that that. By loving people, we fulfill the law. See, we know that. We teach that all the time because that we talk about that it's a love for God. That's a, you're not, you're not going to bow down to anybody else. You're not going to have any other gods before you. You're not going to take the Lord's name in vain, right? You're going to remember this special day that God has created and redeemed you on, right? You're going to honor your parents. You're not going to steal. You're not going to kill. You're not going to covet. You're not going to lie. You're not going to do all those things because all of those things is loving God and loving people. And so we, we know that, that, that the law... The Ten Commandment Law is all about love. So it is actually, as we, we say, that the law, Ten Commandments, would be a revealing of God's character? Well, absolutely, because God is love. So I, I want us to understand that, that when we're talking about God's law, we need to also remember that everything God is, he is Love. Everything he says, everything he does comes from a loving heart because that's who God is. I'm not making this up, by the way. It's all throughout Scripture, but it's also in one of my favorite books called Steps to Christ. In the very first chapter, in the like third paragraph, she says, God made man perfectly holy and happy and the fair earth as it came from the Creator's hand bore no blight or decay or shadow of the curse. It is transgression of God's law, the law of love, that has brought woe and death. It was the transgression of the law of love that caused everything. So, understanding a little bit more a little bit behind the scenes, a little bit greater understanding that we're not just zeroing in on one thing. We're looking at the big picture here. Why would God, why would Jesus want to abolish love? Instead, he came to fulfill love. That's what Jesus did. So he didn't get rid of it. In fact, Jesus isn't out to get rid of the law and the prophets for a couple of reasons. Number one, well, Psalm 19.7 tells us the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If something is perfect, why would you get rid of it? Now, there had some issues, Paul talks about in Romans for sure, but Jesus, that's why Jesus is there. So understanding that what Jesus is doing is, mu- is much bigger than what they thought. Here's another reason that I think that, uh, that Jesus wasn't out to destroy the law or the prophets is because everything that the law and the prophets were pointing to was Jesus himself. Everything that the, the Old Testament is, is pointing to is Jesus. So why would he want to get rid of it? Instead, he wants to... Fulfill it. See, Jesus was not against the law or the prophets. What he was against was how the law was being interpreted and taught. While the scribes and the Pharisees knew the letter of the law, they were missing the spirit of the law. You see, they thought as long as they didn't take one's life, they're good. But Jesus says, if you're angry at your brother, without cause, you might as well have committed murder. They thought that as long as they didn't physically cheat on their spouse, they're good. But Jesus said, if you even have lust for another, it's might as well commit adultery. See, Jesus always was teaching about the heart. In fact, pretty much everything that Jesus taught was driven by what was in The heart. If you sin, it starts in the heart. If you, if if you're not, I'm sorry. You're defiled, not by what you eat, or by not by washing your hands. You're defiled by what was in your heart. If you follow God, and obey His commands, it starts in the heart. If you love, it starts in the heart. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. That's what the new covenant was all about. Now, I'm not a, I'm not, I should say we, but I, I'm not a believer that the old covenant and the new covenant are at odds with one another Uh, there's one covenant and under that big umbrella of the covenant there's these different pieces of it And the new covenant that was mentioned all the way back in the book of jeremiah is pointing to something and let's take a look at it jeremiah 31 jeremiah 31 this is where we're going to find this prophecy of this new covenant jeremiah 31 verse 31 through 34 Jeremiah 31 verse 31 the Bible says behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt No more. Jesus came to fulfill the law, to fulfill the prophets, to take something that was written on stone and give it to a group of people and take it and write it on someone's heart as an individual. To take something that was once given to a group and bring it to you. You. To bring power into your life. To bring the Holy Spirit into your life. To set you free from the power of sin. So, why not just stop there? Why does Jesus say, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, if we understand the, the, the law, we understand what, what God is saying, and saying, you know, obviously Jesus putting this inside of us transforms everything, then of course, why would I teach to, to not follow him, and that it's not a big deal to do these things, or, or, or you know, those types of things. Jesus is saying, I want you to be faithful with what I've given to you. But then he goes on to say, Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, The scribes, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were, they were the guys. They were the ones who knew the law better than anyone else. They were the ones who could teach it better than anyone else. They were the ones who could keep it better than anyone else. And now Jesus is saying, see them. Doesn't this sound a little legalistic? I mean, how does this get written in the same section? Did you think Matthew messed up? Maybe Matthew messed up. Maybe maybe he just misunderstood and he wrote it down wrong. Or we just need to look at it a little bit more carefully. Check this out. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, whose righteousness is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Unless yours exceeds theirs. Right? That's what he's comparing it to. Unless yours exceeds theirs. So, whose righteousness is he talking about? He's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. And the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, where did they find their righteousness? How did they get their righteousness? By obeying and keeping The law. So in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you and I need to have a righteousness that is better than theirs. I hope you know where I'm going with this. Because the only way to have righteousness better than theirs is to find it in the one who is righteous. And that is Jesus. When he came and he lived and he died, he fulfilled what the law could never do. The law points us to him. The law points out sin in our life, but the law law could never cleanse us. The law could never, ever save us. Only Jesus can do that. And because Jesus came and he died, he fulfilled what the law couldn't. Don't get rid of it. It points to Jesus. I thought you'd be more excited about that. It points to him. He is the one that did this for you. He's not telling us to do better. He's telling us to find it in him. He's gonna go on, he's gonna talk about this anger, he's gonna talk about, he's gonna talk about divorce, he's gonna talk about adultery, he's gonna talk about all these different things because what he wants people to realize and what we're going to realize is he's gonna say, if you're gonna keep the way of the scribes and Pharisees, let me tell you, that the way that they're teaching it and the way they're interpreting it is not the spirit of the law. That's the letter of the law. But I'm going to share with you what the spirit of the law says. Because the spirit of the law is love. And love forgives. It doesn't hold anger. Love celebrates somebody else It doesn't get jealous and want what they have. Love is different. In Romans 10.1, through four. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, listen to this, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, they're trying to find their righteousness in their own doings and and trying to obey things just perfectly and all these different things. But look at this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I'm going to say it again. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Not the end of the law. Don't say end of the law. Come and run that. The end of the law for what? For righteousness. Because Jesus is the only one who gives us righteousness. That's why it says Christ is the end of that. Christ is the one that fulfills it to everyone who believes. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? If I can be completely honest with you, nothing. Unless you make it personal. We have to stop looking at this thing as a big group thing. We have to stop looking at it to say that this is something, the big, massive thing, and this is for this group and this group and this group. No, it's for you. Jesus died for you. For you. And until we can recognize, and I know that you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again. Until we can recognize that if you were the only person out of the whole world to say yes to Jesus and accept what he's done, if you were the only one, the only one, would Jesus still do it? Yes. Yes, Yes, he would. If I was the only one and all y'all said no, if I was the only one Jesus would still do it. That's a confidence that I have in knowing what kind of God my God is. And if you can have that same confidence to know if you are the only one Jesus died for you. Jesus did this for you. He fulfilled the law and the prophets for you. This new covenant is not for a group It's not for your parents, it's not for your spouse, it's not for your church. This new covenant was made to you. It's made for you, it's given to you, but only if you accept personally what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It's yours. This is what Jesus came to fulfill. This is what he came to accomplish, to save you. We can get into the arguments all day about what abolish and fulfill mean. We can go through all these different things and try to contest this and do this and do that. But if we don't come down to this point right here, it's worthless. Jesus came and died for you. Will you accept that? When you accept it, the promise of Jeremiah comes true. He begins to work in your heart, doesn't he? He puts his law of love in your hearts and we want to follow him. We want to to obey him because it's all out of love. That's why when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. A lot of times we look at that and we want to make it manipulative. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Can you imagine me walking into the house? Honey, if you love me, you'd make me a sandwich. <laughs> I know Michelle, she'd be like, I love you, make your own sandwich. <laughs> Honey, if you love me, you'll mow the lawn. Get out there and mow the lawn. That, <laughs> that's what she would say. Get out there and mow that lawn. No, it's not, it's not, a, it's, Jesus isn't being manipulative. He's not saying, here's how you prove it. No, what he's saying is, when you accept Jesus, you should read this in, in uh, 1 John, by the way. If you accept Jesus, God abides in you. And when God abides in you, his love abides in you. And when his love abides in you, that helps you love him and love others. We love because he first loved us. We love because of what he's done. We love him. We love each other. We love his law. We love everything because of what Jesus has done because God puts that love there. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, God's gonna put love in your heart to follow me in everything that I teach, not just 10 things, but everything that I teach, including forgiving and loving your neighbor, your church family members, your own family members. Yeah, the crazy ones. Loving them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine God writing this kind of law in your hearts? Not just the law of ten things, but the law of his love. The way he operates. Can you imagine him writing that on your heart? Can you imagine what that would do in your spiritual life to recognize and to know that God is writing his law of love on your heart? The power of his love flowing through you? You recognize that it's not you that has to do all this stuff, but just surrendering, allow Him to do it through you? Come on! That's good news! The way you live, the way you love, the way you work, the way you parent, the way you spouse, the way you study, it all changes. It all is transformed. It's all infused by the power of the love of God. How cool is that? How amazing! That's good news! That's gospel news. Now I'm going to challenge you. Can you imagine a church, a remnant, with that kind of love? I hope it changes your focus. I hope it moves us in a different direction. I hope it brings us together rather than separating us, because that's what the love of God does. Imagine you coming together as one, the rest of God's people, with his power and his love in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you. Thank you that you didn't come to abolish anything, but instead you came to fulfill it. And Lord, as we have gathered into this place and we've heard your words today, my prayer is that each one, each heart in this place would would recognize how much you love them and what you did to save them. Each one of us, personally. And may your power of your love, your law, may it fill us. And move us, transform us. That we find our righteousness in Jesus. That we are free from sin and the power that it has over us. We now have the power of your righteousness and the power of your Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to be the children that you've called us to be. Fill us with your love with your law. Lead us and guide us every step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.